A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're about to listen to an interview which our socios enjoyed in full 12 months ago. If you'd like to listen to these exclusive monthly big interviews on the day that they're released, it's time to join us. That means supporting us. It means the price of a pint per month. Go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Go now, join and become a socio. That means you'll get that extra big interview every month. And you'll also unlock our entire archive straight away, all for £2.99 a month. It's the best deal in town, baby. And we need you. Whenever I watched David Weir, what shone out was that he was from an older school of Scottish football because he was bright. He read games terrifically. He made sure that his uh, career was long, not simply because he ate, what was Gordon Strachan's recipe? Bananas, porridge and honey and nettles? No. David Weir didn't simply stretch and yoga his way to a long career. It was his brain. But he was also ferociously competitive. And in my eyes... As well as liking him, talking to him regularly, meeting him on the European scouting circuit, in my eyes, it was a picture book story, a boy's own story. To be, in his own words, not good enough for professional football at age 18, to go to the United States, to land there in the kind of circumstances which would have made an extra plot for the writers of Gregory's Girl or That Sinking Feeling or Local Hero, to survive that, to thrive, to become the elite of American college soccer, come back, knock on the door of his local club, be picked, graduate to winning trophies in Scotland, make a huge career in England with Everton, a a mighty club with a proud support, and to tell us, to be able to tell us about characters like Duncan Ferguson, Tommy Gravison, Kev Kilban, Walter Smith, to tell us what it was like to play against Robbie Keane or Freddie Canute, the great strikers of that Premier League era. David Weir is as good a storyteller as he was a match reader. But then, to end up at the club he always supported and to go to a European final with them, well, what that makes is a really good story. We went to his home, we sat down with him, he relaxed and he told us all about it. Here it is. Why 
Everton, what, Everton is, a, is a grand club, you know, a real mm-hmm. traditional club. Goodison's a fabulous place. Yeah. People might say now, was oh, it too small? Should we build? Do we need more crowd? But it's a fantastic stadium. Also, the people there. Yeah. Uh, it's, in all my career in England, and it was really unfortunate in that I would have reported when I was living and working in London on Howard Kendall's struggles, um, I think Walter coming in and saving them, really yeah. saving them from desperate situations, last day escapes. But try and sum up Everton and its personality and its character as far as you're concerned. It's an unbelievable football club, Everton. You know, it's hard to, if you don't know Everton or you've never been a part of it or never actually, you know been there or played there or whatever your interaction with us, you don't really understand it's, it's perceived as a second club in Liverpool by a lot of people worldwide but mm. within Liverpool it's it's you know David Moyes sort of coined the phrase but it's the people's club you know so all the postcodes of the season ticket holders are, are Liverpool postcodes you know they generally you go into the city which I love going, doing you go in and you meet proper people I watched Tony Bellew you see Tony Bellew celebrity fan you can just that is the Everton fan it's such a sort of true representation of what the Everton fans are it's never far away from their thoughts they genuinely care about the club love the club and have generations of families who have supported the club so I didn't know at the time being honest you know I, I knew Everton was a good name a successful club and Walter Smith was the manager which was obviously a great attraction for me but I was so lucky in terms of getting the opportunity to go and play for a club like that and I had eight years of initial struggles with Walter as you said because Walter was keeping the club afloat, mm. keeping the club in the Premier League, which at the time was a success. It's a giant achievement. A giant achievement because the, the odds were stacked against us. The mm. players, in a lot of cases, probably including myself, weren't good enough. So we had to get better and we had to survive and we had to constantly bring in players and then selling them straight well, away. Walter's been a guest in this and, mm-hmm. you know, told us in no uncertain terms and told me at the time too that he'd been misled about what money he would have. Yeah. And even then in that Premier League, if you didn't have the budget to compete, then you were on a wing in a prayer. And I I, I think his, his work and the job he did has been misunderstood and underappreciated. I think I think it's been appreciated by the Everton's. It's funnily enough, and I can remember one of the more recent dinners, Bill Kenwright, obviously the chairman and, you know, Everton's number one supporter fan and, sort of barometer on everything was, you know, invited Walter to the dinner and basically explained that and, you know, the the great way that Bill does in terms of what, what Walter did for the club and how the club has gone on from that base that Walter gave it. Mm-hmm. You know, the stability and going out of the league and where it might have ended up if that had been the case. And I think that's, you know, Evertonians being Evertonians, they'll understand that, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of what Walter did bring to the club and what how important that was at the time. So for you, given all that your personality is perfect for them, was it always sweetness and light with uh, Walter and Archie? It was just, a, again, another experience. Because <laughs> Walter and Archie were, you know, bad cop, bad cop at times. You know, they generally were, you know, you were left in no uncertain terms what was required. Well, Archie went from the most mild-mannered, entertaining Best of company in pre-season on his trips to Choco, where, where he obviously loved. Choco in Italy. It's beautiful countryside and, you know, Archie's at his best, totally engaged and totally buying into the working really hard, but, you know, also good times and good laughs and then the game starting, the trouble starting and then all of a sudden Archie's got you pinned up against the wall and you're the worst player that's ever played forever and you'll never play again. And You know, that's kind of how 
how it went, the extremes and the emotions that were involved. So it was, you know, a real learning experience and a real tough league at the time, you know. Mm. It's not that it didn't have the circus surrounding it the Premier League had at the time, but no. every, every team you played against had good centre forwards, two good centre forwards, mm. good partnerships, and, you know, every game was a test. It was a real good quality league and a real test in terms of professional. So at that stage you're centre back, predominantly yeah. centre back. Yeah. So which tests did you hate and which tests did you go? I really love playing these guys, this guy, that yeah. guy, that pair. I always loved playing, you know, like for me, going to Old Trafford, going to Anfield, going to Highbury as it was at the time, White Hart Lane, which is a great stadium, mm-hmm. one of my favourite stadiums, probably only Goodison that I like more. So getting to go to these stadiums, that I enjoyed all that, but then you're playing against York and Cole, you're playing against Sheringham, you're playing against Robbie Keane, you're playing against Henri, obviously at different stages in mm-hmm. the league, but Dion Dublin... You know, Alan Shearer, Les Ferdinand, you know, you're playing against, every week you're playing against a top striker or a top strike partnership. And, you know, the ones I found particularly difficult, mm-hmm. you know, were the, the really tall ones. Everybody always thinks, oh, he's tall, he's a bit slow, he maybe not like the small, quick ones. I didn't mind that. It was the ones, it was the Canuties and the, you know, the one shot. Canuties, a very good player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a very, very yeah. good footballer. And I found those really difficult. And you know him, obviously, and, but he wasn't considered to be nope. the best of the best in the league. And Paolo Wanchop was the same. He was a fantastic player and a real handful. So in the German World yeah. Cup, scoring a bosker of a goal as the Allianz Arena was being inaugurated um, Costa Rica, Germany. And oh, his pace, and he was relatively powerful, nice technical. Yeah. Good that was a there. different challenge every week. But those were, I felt personally, were the hardest. But, you know, playing against Leeds and playing against Robbie Keane or... Viduka or Hasselbank or whoever it may be at that time. So every challenge was different and, and brought, you know, different problems. What would you do as a, as a sort of leader in a, in a centre-half? Would you, would you plan? Would you go and study? Would you, were you a big thinker during the week? Or was it just like, I know what this is going to be like and just turn up, make the best of yourself? No, I think the game was evolving then as well. So particularly when David Moyes came in to manage, you begin to get more information. Walter probably concentrated more on his team in terms of what he wanted us to do and how he wanted us to do it. Mm-hmm. David Moyes probably spun it and it was more about the opposition. This is what they're going to do. This is what we need to do to counter it. So that probably changed in that respect in terms of you knew more about the... Obviously you knew the opposition because they were mm-hmm. public figures and you watched them on TV and things. But the actual detail that David Moyes went into in terms of the opposition made... You had to become a student of the game. I'm guessing you soaked that up. Yeah, you do. You try and... Utilise it as best you can. You're trying to, because you're, you're trying to stay in the team. And that's how it was. Mm. You know, David's team, he, he did get investment and he was bringing in mm. players and seemed to be a centre back coming in every year who was challenging for. Is that what it felt like? It did, yeah. It felt like there was Per Kroldrup came in, Joseph yep. Yobo came in, Matteo Ferrari came in, you know, Phil Jagielka came in, Julian Lescott came in. Mm. So, you know, over my six, seven, eight years there, Marco Materazzi it seemed like there was centre backs coming in every year and you had to fight for your position which is right you know and, and you've got to embrace that challenge you've got to enjoy that challenge you've got to use it to make you better and whatever the means may be whether it's studying opposition or whether it's making yourself better he made me laugh because um, Steve Cutner told me that Materazzi had told him that after a bad first half at Everton he was Ma- Materazzi of Zidane fame mm. was scared to go in 
scared of Archie, yeah. not Walter, but of Archie. Yeah. Now, that tells you a little bit about what you were explaining earlier on about bad cop, bad cop. Also, two very, very, very funny men. When when they handed over to David, one of the things that I think his first season was a stabilising, finding the pace of the uh-huh. league. His first senior managerial job too, in, in terms of yeah. top level. That that season where you finish fourth is is as good as a trophy, as far as I'm concerned. You know, right now the Everton half of Liverpool wouldn't work for a month if they got fourth. It was a big, big achievement in a, in a time where I think it was probably Mourinho's first season or at or around mm-hmm. his, his his first season. Rather than looking at it game by game, your team was full of pretty good characters. Wouldn't you have played against Duncan Ferguson very early in your Scottish career yeah. for Fogget? So take me from the Duncan Ferguson then to Duncan Ferguson that you encountered at Everton. Well, my debut was against Duncan for Falkirk. So he was playing for Dundee United, my debut um, against um, Dundee United at Brockville. So that was my first introduction to Scottish football, playing against Duncan. And still, I still speak to Duncan now, still see him now and again. And you know, he talks about that, how the... I was this fat kid with really small shorts playing the game against him and he was being watched by Bayern Munich in that game and that's where he was going. So he basically made my career. So that's kind of his take on it. How so is it for you up close and personal? A handful. You know, he is... He's a really good footballer, I think. He's a top footballer. He's got, he can do everything or he could do everything, yeah. you know, in terms of he could run. His technique was fantastic. He could finish. He could head it, you know, left and right foot. Aggressive, you know. If you wanted to have a fight, have a fight. If you wanted to play, you could play. So he genuinely had everything. Duncan, maybe not quite the luck to enable his body to do what he wanted to mm-hmm. do as often as he would have liked. But attribute-wise, he was at the top level. And I didn't play against him a lot because he was at Everton. And then when we were playing against him, or when Everton were playing against him when he was at Newcastle, I don't think it was his favourite game. So I don't think he was ever at his best when we're playing against him at Newcastle, which was far, few and far between. So he was a great teammate to have. He wasn't playing regularly or playing week in, week out, but he was a fantastic weapon. And he always seemed to raise his game mm. in the bigger games. So if it was Manchester United or it was Liverpool, and it was a game where he felt he had to perform or you know, the, the spotlight was on him, he raised his game, and he was unplayable in some, some of those games. That's a good phrase, I think that's right. I think there are a few players across my time watching football where you're like, well, on that form, that guy, and, and not just the quality forwards who've got brilliance, David Villa, for example, Raul, whatever. Mm-hmm. The guys who've got that talent, and, and they'll, they'll beast you as well. Yeah. That's a frightening sight to see. And across my, whatever, nearly 30 years now reporting football Duncan would be up there with the people who boy it, it, some centre-halves must have just bricked it absolutely were, bricked you it could see it, you, could, you could actually you know, visually see the lads shrinking in terms of what they were going to face and you saw it in the dressing room before the game with Duncan you could see you know, if he was captain he'd act like a captain he'd be in the dressing room, be talking to people and it would gradually build you, know, you could feel the actual you know, his Demeanour getting into the dressing room. He was getting more and more excited for the game. He was building it up. So by the time you actually walked out the tunnel or walked out the dressing room, you were at, you were at fever pitch. You thought you were going to war because he'd actually created such an environment in the dressing room. It, wasn't, it didn't happen a lot, but you could just tell when he was in the mood or when mm-hmm. he was at the stage where he was ready to perform. And you could see it happening. And by the time you know he got on the pitch, he was just ready to unleash 
on whoever was unfortunate enough to be playing against them on that it's day. It's a great sight. It's what football's supposed to be. It's a great, great yeah. sight. Rules, rules have changed. I'm not sure yeah. that even a, a, you know, a fully fit Duncan Ferguson would have had as much profit today. No. And I, I worry a little bit about that. You know, I yeah. think that the game's not necessarily going soft, but when keepers are overprotected, I'd love there to be you know, six or seven Duncan Ferguson's scattered across Europe. Yeah. But he's still the thing about it. Duncan will always be remembered, I think, for his physicality and his aggression, and you know what he brought. But technically, he could have handled it as well. That was the thing because he was mm. such a good footballer. He was a very good player. Yeah, let's go across other characters, and, and you butt in and take me to players I haven't thinking of. But because I like him very much, and I th- again, I think he was a little bit underestimated. Kev Coban has been a guest on our yeah. season. He's turned into a right good yeah. analyzer, commentator. He's got a bright brain. Real character, man. Yeah. Too either him, the guy, the dressing room, the training ground, the player. Tell us about playing with Kev Coban. Just a, just a really good fella. Just a genuinely, like hardworking, honest, you know, team player who would always put the team before himself. You know, and as you say, made a really good career as a broadcaster. I love listening to him, and you know, he genuinely has got a good insight on the game mm. in terms of he cares about it, he thinks about it, and he can explain it. But he's. As a teammate, he was exactly the same. He cared, you know. He wanted to win. He was he was very aggressive, but he was also, you know, very honest in, in the things he did. And that that was that successful Everton team. You know, you could look at each and every individual and probably say, probably need a little bit better than that. You know, myself included. But when you had, you know, Kevin Cobans, you had Lee Carsleys, you had Steve Watsons, you had Alan Stubbs, you had um, Tim Cahill was talented undoubtedly Artetas and people like that but when you had that solid base of these sort of solid Nigel Martin you know good solid citizens who you know would turn up week in week out were responsible for themselves but for others as well and Kev's probably typical of that you know he was a real a really good solid professional who you know was a 6 at worst and a you know an 8 or a 9 at best it's valuable there's one that that needs to be mentioned because it looked, and again, you might dispel this myth. It looked as if his move midway through a very good season changed things. Tommy Gravison, yeah. Um, apparently now he owns the world or yeah. runs Las Vegas. <laughs> I, I don't quite know what it is. Um, so he's obviously changed from the mild, unassuming character he was in your dressing. I'm told he was absolutely crackers. He was, and he was a Walter and Archie signing. You know, Thomas Gravison came in, um, signed by Walter and Archie, and he was a complete maverick. You know, in terms of both as a person, you know, on and off the pitch, he was, you know, if you got him at the wrong time, you couldn't speak to him. He was just, the barriers were up and he was, you just couldn't communicate. But when he was at his best, he was unplayable. He was genuinely, you know, day in, day out in training, in the possession games, the boxes, he was the tidiest, you know, best player in terms of keeping the ball that I've, I'd played with. You know, just the actual technical qualities he had and the, the concentration that when he was on it to actually do the right things time after time was was incredible, and he was a big part of that team. That team, which was, you know, the complete opposite of that. He was almost like the, you know, the the difference to to actually give us the opportunity to achieve what we achieved because he, the others were probably incapable of it. He he wasn't the most usual Walter player in that he was somebody who. Positionally, maybe wasn't so disciplined, yeah. but he could do clever little things to open up games. Yeah, it was. He was very frustrating, as in my until every year. Yeah, <laughs> in terms of what you'd want from a midfielder. Tommy, He's Tommy, like, where are you? Where are you going? 
get back, but Lee Carsley was the opposite. So there was a nice balance in there in terms of how the team was. And Tommy would always do something in the game that made you realise, well, it's worthwhile having him. I'll give him that long leash. Exactly, yeah. So it was the you know, it's a small price to pay on a lot of occasions, although, you know, very, very frustrating in terms of you know where where he where he isn't where you expect him to be a lot of the times. What about the the the, the other side of his character? Was he a, a Gaza style letting off fireworks? And yeah, he was. He was, and... he was. He's you know lots of stories about Tommy. You know, I played against him at, in Glasgow as well. You know, Rangers v Celtic, but playing with him in Everton and and some of the games and off the pitch, an absolute loose cannon. You know, terrorising the staff. So such a strong boy, just pick up staff. You know, hover them in a lock of some sort, and they just couldn't move. And you know, just putting people in positions they shouldn't be in, and you know, <laughs> making people realise how sort of in charge he was going to be if he wanted it. So he was a real complex character and a real like loose cannon in terms of day in day out. Some days you couldn't actually get a message across to him because he he wasn't in the mood, and then some days he'd be the most engaging, likable, funny guy that you've ever seen, and. Other days he'd be firing fireworks across the training ground at Fizzy's jogging around the pitch. And, you know, he was just absolutely nuts. But, again, a really good footballer, a really talented footballer who, you know, moved to Real Madrid from Everton, mm. which, you know, not a lot of people would make that move. So tell me about the... the I mean, Arteta you've mentioned. You've played, I mean, just right good quality. If I'm not wrong... Arteta must have been one of the one of the high quality yeah. organizers, thinkers in terms of his midfield role that, that you played with. He'd been player of the foreign player of the year in League One. I know he'd done quite well for Big Alley at uh, at Rangers as well. But when he comes in, the things I want to ask you: what made him stand out, and if he's to go on and manage, would that surprise you? It wouldn't surprise me because you know he's obviously got such a great understanding of the game and. When he played for Everton, a lot of the time, definitely initially played sort of off the side more. So he'd, he'd have to probably think he's a central midfield player, which he, he was and is. But, you know, David Moyes used him slightly differently, playing off the side. And he had to make himself really important in that role. And he did. You know, he understands the game. He can, you know, he understands players he's playing around. And he, he always impacted the game. He always created something, made something happen and, and made the game in general, look easy. In the Premier League, were there lots of midfielders who like to keep the ball like him or be careful with the ball like him? I guess you could immediately look at schools and, mm. and whatever, but across the Premier League in midfields, wasn't there a little bit more rashness about let's have a go at something yeah. rather than keeping, moving, turning? There was. It was very much about, you know, midfielders. You were either a defensive midfielder or an attacking midfielder. You know, that seemed to be the case. So you'd have the you know, the, the sitters, the Lee Carsleys, the ones who would sit and protect the back four and then you'd have the ones, you know, Lampard obviously, you know, of that level who'd go and score 15, 20 goals a season, post goals and people like that who were great passers. So there was a real mix of real good quality players ac- across, you know, lots and lots of good teams, Vieira and people like that, you know, mm. top, top players. So it, it seemed to be that, you know, there was loads of different attributes wrapped, wrapped up in and all these different people and just different challenges. Scholes was, in my experience, was just a different level in terms of, you know, what he could do. And he could do probably everything, you know, at different stages of career and at his best, probably do all of it at the same time. He was just, he could pass, he could score, he could, 
you know, he could run the game, he could dictate the tempo of the game and he could really, you know, just pass you to death when he wanted to. As a passionate Scott who wore the jersey so many times, did you have a laugh that England didn't know what to do with him? When you're, you're watching this week in, week out, or having to go up against him and, and they're like, yeah, we're not sure what to do with this guy. Yeah, well, we, to be honest, we, Scotland played England in the playoff for, yeah. it would have been Euro 2000 and yeah. he played the game at Hamden and he scored yeah. two goals and... He knew what to do. They knew what to do on that day. So um, I just, I was in awe of him. I just thought he was a fantastic player. You know, I just thought as a midfield player, as a de- me being a defender, he was the, the hardest player to play against. It's really striker. so? Yeah. Definitely. Also, I mean, is it also to do with which spaces he would occupy? He seemed to pop up quite a lot yeah. because he could take it easily and give it to the right player quickly. He seemed to be quite hard to pin down, I thought. He was. And he, and he just had that, as I said, he could do it all. He could, Pass short, he could pass long. He would know when to pass. He'd always put the ball where you didn't want the ball to be. He'd always be in a position where you had the decision to make should I go, should I stay. So that's interesting. So his brain is as good as his technique. I thought it was. Yeah, I thought just the questions they asked you, and that was always in my position. That was always my worry. You know, should I go? Will I go? Should I stay? And when you get caught in between, invariably, that's when you end up in trouble. So as you gamble, if you're not sure because you haven't got enough information, did you have a preferred choice, stay or go? I'd always stay. Yeah, always, especially wait and see what, wait yeah. and just let the situation unfold and yeah. see if there's still something I can do. Yeah. And the best players, the Sheringhams, the Scholeses, the Robbie Keens, and that they'd always try and get you to get in positions they weren't comfortable with or dragging you into positions whereby you didn't want to go. And that it was a game of cat and mouse all the time. That, or that's how I feel. What an enjoyable way to spend your life. <laughs> Literally, a game of cat and mouse. But they're going, have a nibble, have it. I'm gone, and then you're like, no, 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 no. And there was no, you know. You know, there's no recovery. Did you get... did you watch across Europe or England to, to say, you know, did you go out watching Beckenbauer? Did you have people that you, Matt Maldini, that you, you were, ah, or I model myself, I see more, that. More domestically, when I was growing up, I, I was a Rangers fan, so I was watching Terry Butcher and Richard Goff and what I thought was my position at the time. So they were my sort of role models growing up in terms of my position. And then, obviously, as you play, playing the Premier League, you're playing against and with really, really good players. And I was fortunate enough to play for Scotland and some of the players you play against there and you see in the flesh and, you know, come up against in the flesh, then you get your horizons broadened again and the Premier League became, you know, an international league as well as, as you know, my career got longer. So you kind of had the best the best mix there. You were getting international players in the domestic league. So it was a real, real good experience in terms of variety of players and cultures and, and how they played the position and played mm. the role. And the Villarreal experience was, was their quality, was their intelligence just thrust at that, that team too soon because the achievement of being forced should have yeah. really should have allowed you a, a beatable team and into the Champions League and, and during a group of six matches you, you can learn yeah. so much and, and, I, and I remember there was a point at which at, at Goodison somebody's allowed to turn and go on to their better foot and their out position. I thought, no. And, and the return leg is, is much... It felt like in the week there'd been a giant leap of learning right across the squad, and the second leg is so tight, and to lose it, it was so frustrating. Good team, though, really, they were. Yeah. And they go into the semi-finals that year, don't they, I think? They did, yeah. They were, they were a great team, and I can always remember sitting in the canteen at Belfield at the time, which was an old-school training ground, and then watching the draw and Mikel Arteta being there and he's saying anyone but Villarreal no anyone but Villarreal and then obviously the draw's made and you know that's the team we get and then turning and we were a good team yep. you know a good team you know you could say 
look at the individuals and possibly not think the best players in the league, but a really good team. And we're thinking we've got a chance here and playing them at Goodison. Is, as you, and as you said, that experience, that level of team, really good level of team, Raquel May, Forlan, Senna, top, top players yeah. who are at the top of their game and and any slight misjudgment, you're punished. Did it feel like that, that there was a little bit less margin for error than in your run-of-the-mill Premier League game? Yeah, it was a different game. Yeah, I think European games always are. In my experience, I was fortunate enough to play in a lot of Rangers and less so at Everton, but they're sort of half and half between internationals and domestic games. There. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's definitely the best level from my experience. The European games, tactically and you know, player-wise, they are, they are the best games and... It did feel like that. It did. The atmosphere was fantastic. You can imagine Champions League qualifier at Goodison, Villarreal, the opposition. So it was a massive build-up, and you did feel a little bit like, "Wow, this is a, this is a step up." The fans made mega journeys down to get down to Castellon, mm. and I remember David talking agonisingly about maybe a refereeing decision at yeah. the Magic Hour, which might have gone your way and would have at least led to, I think, extra time. Yeah, you? that's right. Duncan scored a. Header from a corner when the game is one-one in the in the replay after having lost two-one in the initial game, so that would have taken it to extra time, and obviously the game would have been in the in the lap of the gods. So that was a Kalina being the referee. So that was a tragic end to, to that Champions he, League campaign he, before it really got started. He was never any good. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we close, we need to talk about uh, you know more trivia because I'm led to believe that you know the answer to who has the record for being the oldest outfield Champions League player um, <laughs> apart from his university goal-scoring record who also would be the last player to provide a goal-scoring assist in a World Cup for Scotland. Are there other things I've missed and can we name that player again? 
No, but the, the, I've seem to have a few oldest player records. That seems to be sort of my claim to fame for for various different things. Maybe, I think oldest outfield international for Scotland, possibly for Rangers as well. So I think I picked up a few of those awards when I had, you know, that last five years at Rangers. That you know was such a a great end to my career when you know I got back to go and play for the club that I supported, grew up and you know and watched. And obviously had some good successes there. A lot of European games, mm. you know, had probably twenty, thirty games in Europe against some great opposition. And you know, the Barcelonas, the Sevilles, the you know Stuttgart's and Leons, and you know, getting to the UEFA Cup final as well. Which, in reality, now looking at where Rangers are and you know the difficulties that are that are ongoing there, it seems like a million miles away. Ten years ago, it is now as well for that. So mm. a lot of symmetry in terms of. You know, ten years ago since that UEFA Cup final, twenty years ago since the World Cup and playing in that, and twenty years ago since winning the Cup of Hearts. So it just seems to be. But if you take the humility aside, and and, and I know that you're not being deliberately self-deprecating, but quite a number of times during this interview, you've talked about oh, maybe I wasn't good enough, or maybe I. So fair enough, but to go from somebody who went to Indiana saying, "Well, I wasn't good enough for football at that yeah. stage." To being, you know, the oldest outfield, playing until winning trophies until an age where, um, at the time you were beginning your career, players weren't playing really, weren't playing to that age. So, cutting to the bone, apart from what I could see in you watching you as a player, particularly when you beat Aberdeen, <laughs> brains, you know, your 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 match reading, um, your, your discipline about. I know how I'm going to win this game or I'm going to win this battle. How did that happen? That's a big, it's a big story yeah. you've told there. Yeah, no, it isn't. You know, when you think of it as in those terms, you know, I understand that. And I think, you know, my nature is obviously, as you've said there, probably that is my nature in terms of a little bit self-deprecating, but also being really competitive. You know, when I get involved in a pitch or in a training session, then you want to win. You know, and I think that's the biggest thing. You know, you actually rise to the challenge and drag yourself up to what you need to do to try and find a way to win. And that's, you know, that was always my sort of gauge as I was, I went to America and then came back to Falkirk to play professionally and playing with lads and training with lads and saying, I can do that or I can, you know, I can rise to that challenge and then going to Hearts and playing internationally and then going into the Premier League and playing in the Premier League and playing internationally again and then European ties and then coming up to Rangers and being involved in a lot more European ties and the challenges that go with that I think you know probably being competitive by nature and you know maybe not realising you know what you are capable of until you're put in that position not pushing yourself to you know to try and achieve but when you are actually confronted by it rising to the challenge and I think you know the competitive nature that's within you I think you know, that actually finding it and what what enables you to do that. I think that's that's the key thing, you know, enjoying enjoying the, the struggles together. Not every footballer or manager person that we meet in this series will admit to supporting a club. Yeah. Rangers is important to you. Um and you grew up as a supporter. Also like you travelled, eh? that's yeah. that's what you do for your team. It's still what I feel like about Aberdeen. Would you have played for so long if your last club had been another one rather than Rangers? Did it help you extend in, in what you have to invest 
as a guy who's reaching 35, 36, yeah. 37, 38, that it, was a, that it mattered so much to you? I think it was part of it. I think really fortunate as well to have a manager who trusted you at that age. Mm. You know, I think... It's you know, Walter again. Walter, obviously, yeah. And, you know, less experienced managers are less... Maybe a manager with more resources probably wouldn't have trusted that, you know, me at that stage of my career as much as he did and gave me the feeling that I could go on. You know, I was always signing short-term contracts and six months and then another year and then another year and then another year. So, you know, in my late 30s, still extending these contracts and having having a manager who motivated you and trusted you. So if feeling that trust from someone, you want to repay it and you want to um, justify it. And obviously playing for Rangers, that was... A massive part of it as well. Having gone through and watched the club when I was younger and been involved in that, my dad being a Rangers supporter, his mm. dad being a Rangers supporter, and you know the whole village being a Rangers support, a Rangers sports village. So that's that's a yeah. that's a big thing to complete the loop of your career like that. Then it was, and and you know genuinely driving up every match day at the stadium. You know what Ibrox is like. You drive up and you see the stadium, mm. and you're going, "Wow, what a place!" And then getting to play there and having a degree of success, you know there. And, winning a few trophies and And you know that European season that you talked about, although you're saying it it seems quite an achievement to have reached the UEFA Cup final, Europa League final now, you know, until the last group game you were very nearly through yeah. in the Champions League as well. That's with right, yeah. amazing I mean the and the away result in Lyon was yeah. pretty astonishing. You'd you'd been part of, as you say, you know, Sevilla was a different experience. Some Rangers fans still tell me that in living memory, maybe that home perform that's Ibrox performance by Sevilla mm-hmm. is is right up there. Kunity yeah. again, yeah. The nil nil at, at Old Trafford, nil nil yeah. with Barcelona, whatever. But that that run, eighteen games you played. Now you've already dispelled the notion that it should be any tiredness. But an eighteen game European season is is some achievement with away wins and and not clinging on, but an extra time night in Florence yeah. and be, a Scottish team beating somebody on penalties I know it shouldn't have happened yeah it was a, it was an unbelievable season you know looking back at it in the time when you're in it you know you're in the the continual progression of that season you just look towards the next game but with hindsight when you actually look back you know that game you're talking about Leon. so the last game of the six at home against Leon and a draw or even a narrow yeah. defeat we would have yeah. gone through and then Benzema decides to take it upon himself to, to get Leon through and you know as a, an individual performance one of the best I've played against really you know in terms of what he did to us and how difficult he made for they the seem to draw you in and then, and then yeah. go yeah which Scottish teams are, uh, in, in, are, are perpetually tempted to say our duty is to the fans whereas every Italian would say your duty is to the result yeah the fans will come around when you get the result we we that's not in our, it might be in your blood the way that you play but it's not in our blood as a nation it's not in our blood but Walter you know Walter's very pragmatic in those terms and he's got a great love of Italian football and that's his school of football yeah, is yeah. you know the Catanaccio and the you know the look after the defensive side of things first that is particularly in Europe obviously domestically Rangers are expected to do a little bit more yeah but that night when when you're just going to yourself, percentages, yeah. percentages, percentages, get through, get through. Yeah. But there was just that feeling that it was a bit of a surge and if the game's not coming around, frustration, uh-huh. and then they just went like, we'll have you. Yeah, they did. They just cut us open and it wasn't by design. We hadn't gone and opened up no. and, you know, it was literally they drew us into positions. We made mistakes and they punished us really, really well. So 
that was a real sore lesson. And mm. the European campaign afterwards became very much, as we're talking about, very pragmatic, very sort of defensive. Even the home games were nil-nil or one-nil or, you know, there was never a lot of opening up or a lot of trying to win the games as such. It was very much about, you know, staying in the game, staying in the tie and, and finding a way to get through. So there was a group spirit. So there was no, what you see sometimes now in the clubs, which I detest, uh, Europa League, we weren't yeah. rid of that, that Thursday league. That. There was an attitude about, like, we're going we're gonna to win this or we're going to go through. Or... I think it kind of crept up on us. I think, being honest initially, and what would be a better person to ask, I think the idea was to not stay in it too long. We went to Panathinaikos, Nacho scores a late goal, and we're still in the competition. So... Eventually, all of a sudden, you're in the last 32, I think it might have been, mm. and, you know, it becomes a little bit closer, and then, you know, you get through the next time, you're like, oh, wait a minute, there, there might be something brewing here. But even going into the semi-final against Fiorentina, to actually think you're going to be in a European final, or you're actually going to make the final, as you said, you know, a Scottish team winning on penalties, it just doesn't happen. So, probably still a bit sceptical in terms of actually what this journey is going to entail and all the time in the background thinking we need to win the league we need to win the league because Rangers hadn't won the league for a period of time and that was Walter's number one priority as you can imagine so that's why it came back to Rangers from Scotland was to win the league so this was almost the distraction the games are racking up I think we played 68 games there. and you've praised up Ben somehow I just want to trip back to you because you know his, his record and his trophies are very good in Madrid, but there's a lot of people he think that if you're a forward, and he's hit 20-plus goals for six of his eight seasons, 25 in six of his eight seasons, he's quicker to 50 goals than Ruud van Nistelrooy in the Champions League and Thierry Henry, and yet he does get pilloried yeah. a lot, whereas to me his, he's a nine-and-a-half because he can play as a striker yeah. or he can drop back and do really subtle, intelligent things. So, I mean, that night you, you saw that and you've watched him since. What, yeah. What's your Benzema view? I just think, as you said, I just think underestimated in terms of the actual quality and the longevity of what he's done, you know, for centre-forwards to stay at that level for the period of time he's done at a club like that. You know, that's, that's not easy to do. There's not many people, you know, other than the greats who actually stay at the top-level clubs continually producing and navigate all the, you know, the pitfalls and you know, the, the troubles that come with being at these clubs, both mm. mentally and, you know, football-wise. You know, it's, it's a really difficult situation to to live in. And he's he's done it. And, you know, watching the game, watching the game at the weekend, you still see the mm. quality that he's got. And mm. I, I think he actually looks really, really good at mm. this minute. He looks mm. really fit and he looks really motivated. And, you know, it looks like he's got the bit between his teeth. But just a player I've always admired. And mm. He'd one lucky night. He'd one lucky <laughs> night. Let's just say it and get it out of there. Arshavin played. Yeah, he did. And Timoshuk played. And there was Timoshuk is yeah. such a just. Yeah. He's one of the better players I've seen. He was definitely, and again, longevity in what he did. Did and Advocat was the manager, and it was Zenit versus Bayern Munich. That was the other semi-final. So we're thinking naively, obviously, are thinking, well, if we get through, we'll play Bayern Munich. But as it turns out, Zenit put St. Petersburg in a really, really good team, and. In the final, which is at Manchester, you know, which is on the, on a doorstep here, but thoroughly deserved to win the game. We were we were a really good two-legged team, a really good, you know, <laughs> yeah. team. Again, with hindsight, looking back, who could navigate those two legs and yeah. could build the pressure on teams yeah. and could wait for the right opportunity. But in that one-off game, they were better than us, and you know, it, it wasn't to be 
Was tiredness a big factor now that you look back nah, at it? No, not in the game. I don't think that, that was an excuse. I mean, we, we, they were better than us on the day. And as the season turned out, we, as I said, played 60 odd games. And then I genuinely never felt tired once. Then we'll wrap with her. I need to know, because you, you must have come into closer contact with Messi than most. Messi played in the 0 0. He did. He played in both games. He to, played. Then, from being on the same pitch as him for 180 minutes, tell me about Leo Messi. Oh, he's. He's the ultimate for me, you know, all the arguments about who's the best and who's the best you've seen played against or ever seen. And for me, he's number one. So like just to have the privilege of playing on the same pitch as him is a privilege that not many people get. And, you know, enjoying that. And the nil-nil game at Ibrox where, you know, it was anti-football and we were the, you know, the devil in terms of the Barcelona style of football and what we as Rangers were doing to try and get a result, you know, against Henri, Messi, Ronaldinho, Javi, you know, all the top top players so you can imagine that they are, we weren't flavour of the month with them but still admiring what they did but also trying to get the job done Was he part of the pre-briefing? Yeah. You know, if- I can remember the meeting I can, and as I said Walter wasn't massive on mm-hmm. It was more about what you did More about what we did but in the European games obviously treating the teams with respect and going through the individuals the personnel what they did what they're likely to do strengths and weaknesses all the things that you do and the Barcelona meeting was it was two minutes you know, it was two minutes in terms of, almost a joke, in terms of the quality of the player. This is what we're up against. This is what they'll do. All the best. <laughs> and that's, that's not an exaggeration, but that was Walter, because he, he relaxed you. He made you realise that I'm not putting this pressure on you. I'm not expecting to give you too much information. I'm not going to overload you. I'm going to make you go into the game relax. You know what your job is. I trust you to go and do it. So that was, and that's a bit simplistic, but that's how Walter managed. Without a minute by minute, what, what, when you were watching him those nights, what, what did you see? What were you looking for? Where, where didn't you want him to go? Well, how I, did you manage? I mean, over the two legs, it's disappointing to have lost in the camp now. Yeah. Over the two legs against that quality of side, the aggregate score wasn't too no. embarrassing. It was just, the, the thing that stood out for me was his total, total lack of interest when we had the ball. You know, he would go and just find space when he had the ball, almost stand on the halfway line, at the intersection, the halfway line and the touchline and just wait for the ball, almost in a position that you don't see other players taking up. He got it in his head that this was the best place for me to just almost like wait till Rangers gave us a ball back, which, to be honest, wouldn't have been long and get it to him, hopefully in some space. But Was that confusing to see? It was very unusual, yeah, in terms of what you'd usually see in a game and, and obviously that level of player, you know, you're, you're intimidated anyway, you're going at the pitch against the best of the best so when they start asking you questions you know a bit like we've spoken about earlier but players try to drag you into different positions you're starting to think what's he doing there what should I do mm. but you didn't know at the time but Alec McLeish had tried to sign him for Rangers I'd, I'd tried for um, you know Alex's son um, had said football manager dad says that there's this guy coming through mm. and Alec talked to Jan Vouters who talked to Hank Tenkat yeah and then they were like, no, we think he's too small. But there's this guy in Esther, we don't know what to do. Would he have made a career at Rangers, Messi? I think he'd have been all right, yeah. yeah. I think he'd have managed to find a way to win. And, yeah. yeah. Down Greg's of a lunchtime. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a test. This is the last thing. Without projecting how Stephen Gerrard will do in Rangers, because that's a big set of factors mm-hmm. that we don't know yet. When you were up against each other in all the derbies, you, you would have come up, not directly up against him, you would have played against him yeah, relatively. He played in the, my first Merseyside derby. Stephen played in it, he got sent off. 
and that was the last game Everton won a Goodison in the league fixture so it was 1999 and that was my first Merseyside derby first experience and I thought this is alright this, this is quite easy <laughs> and then obviously the record not great in the derbies unfortunately you know Liverpool great players Steven Gerrard a bit like Duncan seemed to be one of those players who rose to those occasions yeah. rose to the big yeah. game came up you know when his team needed him and I like that that was you know that's how the derbies felt he always it almost felt like he went in another gear in those games and you were trying to catch you know trying to get close to that gear and trying to get to that level and he you know for the longevity he had at Liverpool and what he did for that club you know I think that augurs well for Rangers in terms of you know his personality well feel free to laugh at me I'm serious here some people give off it isn't just what they do some people give off an aura uh-huh. I've always felt seeing him meeting him that he does that and that's some that's not coaching that yeah. doesn't renew the transfer market yeah. that doesn't contrast against Celtic's greater uh, reserves and Aberdeen's brilliant academy but that can inspire people definitely I think and it will there's no doubt about that he will, he will inspire people because his nature and you hear him speaking you know he, on TV he's very good in terms of how he talks about the game how he thinks about the yeah. game and you know, you couldn't fail as a player to be inspired by that, but he needs the tools to yeah. to give him the best chance. Grant. And that's that's the, the bit that we don't know yet. So that's the bit that Celtic have got some really good weapons to use. So Rangers need to match that. Rangers need to give him the, the backing to allow him to have a, a fair fight. David, I hope we've explained your career in this short time well enough. I hope you're proud of it when you listen back to it. I think it's a remarkable story. I was really, you knew I was really eager to do this. Because it's nice to see successful, intelligent Scots. It's been enjoyable and it's nice to recollect some of the things that you know have gone on in your career and where you've been and what you've done and, and just discussing some of the situations that you encounter. You don't really know how you get a lot of the time. that big interview which was first released as an exclusive to our socios 12 months ago. If you'd like to get these interviews on the first day that they're available, it's time for you to join us to become a socio and for only £2.99 a month you will get an exclusive big interview plus regular mini documentaries, not only all ad free but all featuring me and bringing you Interesting, funny, and sometimes scandalous things from Spanish football. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to unlock our entire archive. That means that once you join, you will have a treasure trove of interviews with funny, elite, interesting, revelatory top class footballers. By joining us, you will help support this independent podcast. You will help to keep us on the road interviewing people and sending that content for your delectation. If you go to the gym, you'll be slimmer. If you've got a dog, he or she will thank you. If you've got a TV, you can turn it off and listen to this instead.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.